you know, as I began studying, I'm looking at the text. I had this image pop into my mind. It was probably around six or seven years ago. I was pastoring another church. And my son, who, at the fault of him being embarrassed once again, and my daughter's maybe getting jealous because I'm talking about him once again, um, they looked at me like, we're not getting jealous. Um, I had just finished preaching, and Elijah had become a very good reader at a young age. So he came in front of the church, and we lowered the stand down. It was a music stand, and he was probably around six or seven years old, and he got before the church, and he started preaching to us. I believe it was Psalm 19, and he got to a part about God's word being sweeter than honey, and he's like, and I don't even like honey. And he just, he just went through this. Just, I mean, he must have been this big. And as he's doing that, of course, everybody looks at me and they go, like father, like son. They just, there it is. And you know, yeah, he is my son. He's legally my son. And he's going to bear my surname because he's my son. But he also shares, you know, 23 chromosomes for me. So there's also going to be some resemblances as well. He's 13. And at 13, when I was 13, I wore a size 13 shoe. He's 13. And guess what size shoe he wears? 13. I was looking at him yesterday in the, in, in the kitchen, and his back is getting so broad. And I go, oh, yeah, those are the shoulders. He's got these huge shoulders. I just see the resemblance. And then we sit down to play a game of chess, and I think, oh, yeah. This kid's a thinker. I love a game of chess. And he'll sit down, and he'll battle me in a game of chess. And I just see the resemblance in my son. And I go, like father, like son. But this morning, as we continue in these scriptures in John chapter 5, we're going to see the father and the son. And although it's like father, like son, there's something much different than just the resemblance between my son and I. See, Scripture says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. The exact imprint. Whatever the father's nature is like, God the son, his nature is exactly the same. Jesus himself said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So the title this morning, if you are taking notes, is Like Father, Like Son. And we'll be looking at John chapter 5, verses 17 through 29. If you were with us last week, you know we just looked at verse 17. Now we're going to take it back into context, reading onward of how Jesus responds to the Jews that are attacking him. Now, while you're turning there in your Bibles, let me recap for you a little bit. So turn to John chapter 5, and while you're flipping there, I want to remind you, Jesus has just healed a paralytic man, a man who's been a paralytic for 38 years. And when Jesus heals him, he tells him, get up, take up your mat, pick up your mat and walk. Well, when the Jews saw this man, they got upset with him because the day of the week, it was the Sabbath. And he wasn't supposed to be carrying anything because that's work. So they came at this man who had just been healed, foregoing the fact that he had been healed and said, hey, why are you carrying your mat? I'm not allowed to carry a mat. It's the Sabbath. And he said, well, th this man who came, he healed me, and he told me, pick up your mat and walk. So I did. Well, finally, he tells him, oh, it was this man. He points to Jesus. Now they come at Jesus, and they're upset that he's doing these works on the Sabbath. Like, how wrong is that? Healing somebody on the Sabbath. And now Jesus opens up this big discourse, this response to the Jews. We're only going to cover a portion of it this morning. Lord willing, we'll continue next time when we open up the book of John. But this morning, looking at just John chapter 5, verses 17 through 29, 
If you would stand and honor the public reading of God's Word, we'll go through it together this morning. John chapter 5, starting in verse 17, we read, But Jesus answered them, these being the Jews that are attacking Him, persecuting Him for doing works on the Sabbath. He says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18 says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So reads God's holy, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Please be seated, church. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I have lunch plans later. That's a lot of text. And from last week going through one verse and taking so long, what's it going to take to go through so much? And the answer is, I don't know. But Lord willing, we'll get through it together and not only get through it, but we will be blessed by God's word as we study it together. Let's look again at the beginning, the opening, the transition where Jesus responds to the Jews. Remember, they're accusing him of healing on the Sabbath, of doing a good work. On the Sabbath. And Jesus responds, you'll see in verse 17, and says, Well, my father is working till now, and I am working. What he's done right off the bat, he hasn't denied that he's done a good work on the Sabbath, but he's elevated a little bit higher. He's made himself one with the Father. He's told him, Just as the Father is God, so am I. And they understood this. It might be hard for us to get there, but if you look at the response in verse 18, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Not making himself anything less than, as we'd see, maybe a son is less than, they are one. He's making himself completely one with God. Later on in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 33, We see the Jews once again, they say it's not good for 
It's not, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. That is their accusation against him. That he is just a man, and he has declared himself to be God. And that's a big thing. And they want to defend God's glory and say, you cannot claim to be God. That is blasphemy. If you remember as we opened up this book of John, Remember how John opened up in chapter 1? Remember the in the beginning? What was in the beginning? Anybody remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. And then John 1.14, what does it say? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who was from the very beginning. He wasn't a created one. He's always been self-existent one. He's always been. And he was there. And he was God. But he was also with God. Something that's hard to wrap our minds around. We're going to unpack that thought a little bit. But as Jesus comes, puts on human flesh, we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8, through eight, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Slow down for a second. Let's sit and pause for a second. Go back to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word took on human flesh, came and dwelt among us. God humbled Himself, took on flesh. Why? For a purpose. To come and give Himself. Remember, the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. Think about a king. He is the King of kings. The Lord of lords. And yet He came to give Himself a ransom for many. We'll talk about that more shortly. Continuing back in our passage this morning, Jesus continues in verses 19 and 20 of John chapter 5. Jesus says to the Jews, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Jesus starts off and says, truly, truly. Some of your translations might say, verily, verily, or very truly. He starts off that way for a reason. He's saying, listen up. This is very important. Jesus will make that statement quite a few times. Very, very, or truly, truly, or verily, verily. He means, listen up. Not that the other things he has to say are not important. Have you ever heard somebody, maybe you use it and you say, you know what, let me be honest. Does that mean you're usually telling a lie? You're trying to set it up with making an emphatic point. Like, let me tell you something. And we use terms to catch somebody's ears, to make them perk up. That's what Jesus is doing with the Jews here. But then he says something about the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. And I've told you, my mind, when I read scripture, all kinds of things go through my brain. And I go, man, he, you only do what he sees the father doing. Immediately I thought of my neighbor and... and my neighbor is one of those guys who loves a meticulous lawn. We're talking the rows are perfect. Everything is done nicely. 
He's always out there taking care of his lawn. But then a few years ago, he had a son. And recently, I drive by his house, and he's out there mowing, and guess who's behind him? His son. And guess what his son has? A little teeny plastic mower, and he's going right behind Dad. And I think he, what he sees Dad doing, he's doing the same thing. He's mimicking exactly what he sees his father doing. The big difference here, though, with Jesus is Jesus doesn't have a toy mower. Jesus isn't pretending. He's actually doing what he sees the Father doing. There's no pretending here at all. In verse 20, Jesus tells the Jews why this is so. He says in verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Some go, man, this is really hard to understand. That God is one in essence, but he's three in person. We call this the doctrine of the Trinity. That there's only one God who internally exists as three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One in essence, three in persons. And as distinct persons of the Trinity, Jesus expresses how the Father loves him. He uses the word in Greek, the word for love. He doesn't use agape, which we would usually say that's what God used, the sacrificial love. He uses the word phileo in Greek. It is this affectionate love, this deep feelings type of love. It's the same word that we get the city Philadelphia. Anybody know what that stands for? The city of brotherly love made up of Greek words. Again, Jesus describes his oneness with the Father as a union of love. And he goes on to say, look, greater works than these will the Father show you so that you may marvel. He's talking to the Jews. Like, look, Jesus just healed this man and they didn't even bat an eye. They just said, hey, you're breaking the Sabbath. Oh, now you're pretending to be God, you're blasphemy. Let's, let's murder this guy. Let's look how we can kill him. He goes, Greater works will you see. Specifically speaking to raising the dead. How about his own resurrection from the dead? They're going to see things that will keep them astonished, amazed at what God can do. If you're writing down notes this morning, I want you to write down this. Write down all authority is given to the Son. All authority is given to the Son. We're going to unpack this in two different subpoints this morning. But look at all authority given to the Son. Look with me at verses 21 through 23 in our text this morning. John chapter 5, starting at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus has been given all authority over life and over judgment. These are two areas we're going to unpack this morning. What does it mean to have authority over life? What does it mean to have authority over judgment? And why was that authority given to him? Look with me in verse 22. Verse 22 says, Jesus gives the reason. He says that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. 
put ourselves in, in a context. Let's go back a couple thousand years. The Jews see what Jesus has done. Do they honor him? No. They're plotting to kill him. There is no honor to the son. He says, look, authority has been given to me so that I might receive honor. You go, well, how does that work? All right, imagine you're driving on the freeway. You're on the freeway. You look to the left. There's like a red Honda driving next to you on this side. You look to the right. There's a, a black sedan on this side. No big deal. You're just cruising along. A couple minutes later, you look up in your mirror, and you see a police car. You're going to have a different respect for the car behind you than you did for the car to your left or to your right. Yes, follow me. Nothing caused your heart to go pitter-patter a little bit, like start thumping when you looked at the, the red sedan or the black sedan. But when you saw the police car, all of a sudden, there was an elevated form of respect. And you looked down at your speedometer and went, oh, good, I'm doing the speed limit. All is good. There is honor given to certain things. It didn't matter if the policeman behind me was just a first-year policeman or if he was a lieutenant. It mattered with the authority that he had. And he had authority to come and judge what I was doing, the way I was driving. And because of that, there was a heightened sense of respect, a heightened sense of honor going to him. And looking at our passage here in John chapter 5, Jesus is saying the same thing, that they need to look to me because I have that authority. And there's going to be a different type of honor now, knowing that I have this authority. They're accusing him of blasphemy, and he's going to flip the table. He's going to turn it around. Instead, he turns the reasoning on them and accuses them of blasphemy. You don't honor me. You don't honor the Father. He's turning around them. He says, oh, you want to honor God? The only way you can honor God is if you honor me. Jesus comes right back to them. He goes, look, to dishonor me is to dishonor God. To deny me is to deny God. So he was once, they wanted to put him on his heels. He comes right back with the truth and says, you want to talk about blasphemy? I and the Father are one. When you deny me, you deny him. The same writer of this Gospel of John also penned the letter of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. We read, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You can't have God the Father without God the Son. You can't have one without the other. You need to have the Son. The Son is the one who has been given all authority. He is the one who is to have honor, just like the Father would have honor. We're going to look at two reasons why this morning. The first one, again, if you're taking notes, the sub-point is He has the authority to give life. He has the authority to give life. Jesus. John chapter 5, verses 24 through 26. Jesus continues again. He says, truly, truly, listen up. He says, I say this to you. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, 
so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Do you know that only those who have life can give life? It takes life to produce life. The Father has life and he's given it to the Son. The Son has life and now he has the ability to give life. He has authority over giving life to whomever he pleases. Look again at verse 24 with me. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Has. Currently possess it. Not a future reality, but a current reality. That those who hear and believe, they have eternal life. Church, isn't it a beautiful thing that we can have assurance today? That we don't have to wait until the day of judgment and just hope by chance maybe we get into heaven. But we can have complete assurance based upon what God has said that we know that we know that we know that we are saved. That's a beautiful thing. That is a gracious God that wouldn't keep us on our heels wondering, oh, do I shrink back? Do I hide when he comes? Or do I rejoice at the coming of Christ? But because those who hear and believe they have eternal life, it's set. It's a beautiful thing. We'll talk about it more just a little bit. But he also says he does not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. Think about judgment. Have you ever been to court have to stand before a judge? I've been on a jury. I've never actually stood before the judge. I've been on a jury. Just being on the jury, it was nerve-wracking. I can't imagine standing before the judge and having to wait to hear what he decides on what the verdict's going to be for my case. Imagine the holy God of the universe. Imagine standing and being judged on judgment. For many of us, that's not a pretty thought. However, because those who hear and believe in him, they've passed from that judgment. And they have eternal life. There's no longer the fear of what to expect. It's now a great expectation of hope. Jesus continues in verse 25. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will Live. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Dead person hears? You guys see that? Jesus just said, the dead will hear. How is that possible? Church, dead people don't hear. How is it possible that Jesus says the time is coming is now here when dead people will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live? We've got two parts here. We've got a spiritual part and we've got a future resurrection part. The spiritual part, we know from Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once lived. That's past tense. And it said, you were by nature before, you were a child of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. You guys know all have sinned. All of us here, look around. We've all sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we know the wages of sin is death. 
But there's that great part of Ephesians chapter 2. But God. But God, verse 4 says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But how did that come about? Jesus said the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Church, dead people don't hear. Think about it. Isn't it amazing that those who hear only hear because God has intervened? Just think about the goodness of our God. That to be able to hear the voice of Jesus calling us, beckoning us unto himself, that God had to cause us to be born again, to give us a new heart, to regenerate us, we already studied, I don't remember how long ago it was, in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. John wrote, But to all who did receive him, who belonged, or excuse me, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Which means all of this is because of what God has done. It wasn't initiated by man, it was initiated by God. It started with God and it's going to finish with God. That he's the author and he's the finisher. And Jesus says, all who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. So what does that mean, Pastor? I've never actually heard an audible voice from the heavens. Well, to comfort you, I haven't either. But God has given us his written word. His spoken word. We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The words of Christ. That at one time, maybe this all seemed like foolishness. You heard it and said, I don't want any of that. I don't believe a word of that. And all of a sudden, God intercedes, causes you to be born again, draws you to repentance and faith, and all of a sudden, this speaks. There are words that seem to jump off the page that never did before. How is that possible? Because God has caused the one who was deaf to be able to hear. He has intervened. Amen. Absolutely. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 27, 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will, listen, never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Church, what a treasure we have in Christ. What a treasure. That he is the one that has begun it, and he is the one that secures it. That no one, aren't there times in our life that there's doubt that creeps in? Oh man, am I truly saved? It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. When he said it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. He has paid the price. What a treasure we have. It's amazing that we cannot fall so far that we cannot be forgiven. We have a forgiving God. It was in your bulletins this morning. Sinclair Ferguson said, There is far more grace in the Lord Jesus than there is sin in you. Sit on that one for a second. 
I'll tell you, when that accuser of our soul comes and he comes and tries to condemn us and think about these things you used to do and the way you used to live and the way you've abused your body and whatever else the accuser might tell you, oh man, but the grace of God so far outweighs that. The grace of God is so, so good. Amen. We are called in response to that. We're commanded, called to repent and to believe. We're to turn from that sin and turn to God. And if we hear his voice, truly hear his voice, I'm not talking about an audible, I'm talking about God now speaks through his word. Like I said, these used to only be letters on a page, black ink. It used to be a story that was recorded for me to answer Jeopardy questions correctly. But now it's life. It's godliness. It's truth. And God has given me and has given you, brother and sister, his spirit to enable you to follow him. That you not only hear his voice, but you follow him. That's a child of God. It's a beautiful thing. We have complete assurance that we have eternal life. Jesus says no one can snatch us out of his hand. That's glorious news. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Again, the Apostle John writing. He says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Ready? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Listen, church, that you may know, that you might know, that you might good that you have eternal life. No more second guessing. No more doubt that I know, that I know, that I know that Christ Jesus came to die in my place. That Christ Jesus came to pay the penalty for me. That the wrath of God that was being stored up for me because of my sin was poured out upon Jesus. Past, present, and future sin. And that God has opened my eyes. He's caused my ears to hear the voice of His Son. And He's given me His Spirit to follow Him. There's great assurance. Great hope. Jesus has the authority to give life. Next point this morning, authority. He's also given the authority for final judgment. And I'll tell you what, when we talk about life and judgment, life is a lot more fun to talk about. That he has come to give life, and not just life, but life more abundant. But when you think of judgment, no one says, man, that's the first topic I want to talk about. Let's just talk about judgment. But the reality is, so the son receives honor, he's been given authority over judgment. Verses 27 through 29 of John chapter 5 read like this. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Church, it's interesting. Things have changed in our culture, in our nation, even around the world. But for hundreds of centuries, Christian churches, just adjacent to the church, there would be a graveyard. And that graveyard would have the tombstones and people would come into church and as they came into church, 
they would see the headstones of all those who have gone before them. Remember, this is the church. It speaks of their eschatology, of what they believe is going to happen. That there is a hope that we don't grieve like the world grieves. That there is a future hope that these bodies will be resurrected. But that has changed, obviously. We don't have a graveyard out on the side of the church. For many people, they would pull up to a church today and say, oh, how morbid. I thought this is a church, a place of hope. Why would you have a graveyard? Because the reality is, for the believer, there's still hope. Hope doesn't stop when he goes to the grave. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and he has promised he will resurrect those bones. He'll cause what was perishable to become imperishable. We have a great hope. Christ is coming again. Not only to resurrect us unto a, a body that lives forever, but his second coming, he also brings judgment. There's that word again. We read this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. As I know it's going to go up on the slide, but as it does, understand this, that in this life as Christians, we're going to suffer. And we're going to suffer at the hands of unbelievers who will persecute us, attack us. We don't suffer too much here in America like people do around the world who have to give their life for the gospel and who, who get judged in all kinds of ways for the gospel. But here is the judge coming. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, speaking to the believers, for which you also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Stop there for a second. I know you can read and keep going. But God sees it just to repay those who afflict you with affliction. So those who on the final hour were never drawn to Christ, have never repented, never put in faith in Christ, they're going to receive a judgment. And this is why the Lord says, the vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That when we're wronged, we don't feel like we don't have to go and defend ourselves or battle somebody back because we have a perfect judge who is going to come. And he will repay those who have afflicted us. Verse 7 goes on and says, And he's also going to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, look at this, in flaming fire. You ready? Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's heavy. That Jesus is coming back. He has been given authority to execute judgment. And when he comes back on that great day of the Lord, he's coming back with vengeance. And he's coming back and judgment is going to come upon those who do not know him. On those who reject the gospel. Those who do not obey the gospel. We're going to talk about what that exactly means shortly. I want to give us a, a heavenly view in Revelation. Chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. We read, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, being Jesus, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Some of you go, that sounds like an important book. So where do I sign up? Is it online? Is there a form I can fill out on, on the internet or something? God is truly an amazing God. When he drew us out of darkness, when he called us onto himself, when he called us to faith and repentance, he's also written our name in that book. That we are his, that we are secured. But there's something that's interesting that's written here. It says, according to what they have done. And people say, well, pastor, what must we do then? If it's something that according to what they've done, what must we do? Even the prophet Daniel prophesied about this. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, he said, Many of those who sleep in the dust, those who have died, they shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. All will be judged. All will stand before Christ. Some will be given eternal life forever with him. And some will be said, depart, for I never knew you. But what about this thing, those who have done good? Jesus said it in our text this morning. John chapter 5, if you have your, your scriptures open, John 5, verse 29, he says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Done good? Done evil? I, I'm totally confused. I thought we were saved by the grace of God. What does it mean, those who have done good and those who have done evil? I mean, the reality is, haven't all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Haven't all been evil in the sight of God? Well, based on that, we're all in trouble. So what does it mean, those who have done good? Well, here's the reality for us, church. The reality for us is, when there is genuine faith, when God has given us a new heart with new desires, there's a change in us. Instead of only being concerned about my own pleasures and my own pursuits, all of a sudden, I want to please God. I can't explain why that happened or what happened. Something radical happened within me and it happened within you. That when God drew us unto himself, he caused us to be born again. And he's given us life. And this life now desires to please him. And it produces what the Bible calls good fruit. Now, that good fruit doesn't earn you heaven. It's just evident that God has done a work in you, that you're a child of God. You know, works can never merit, works can never earn you salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. But you've heard me say it before, if the gospel hasn't changed you, the gospel hasn't saved you. Because the reality of being born again is God doesn't work when we're changed. The Word of God comes alive because the Spirit of God dwells in us. John, we read it 
previously. We studied in John chapter 3, verse 36. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Hallelujah, that's great news. But he goes on and says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You go, oh no, here comes judgment. Fire and brimstone's coming now from the pastor. Now I want to flip it around. I want you to think of it this way. Isn't God amazing? The same God who would call us unto himself is the same God who would give us a new heart, the same God who would give us a desire to want to please him, the same God who empowers us to try to please him. It's all God. That is God who's working in us and through us for his good pleasure. Evidence that he dwells within me. Church, it's amazing news. That instead of looking at the judgment of God and saying, have I done enough good works? Oh, church, will we ever? It's impossible. But instead to know that I am not who I used to be. I once was, and list all those sinful deeds and who I was and labeled as, but now I'm a new creation in Christ. All those things have passed away, and behold, all things are new. I've been given a new heart with new desires. Truly our God is an awesome God. On judgment day, instead of shrinking back or being in fear, we can stand confidently because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, there's not this doubt. You know, we are the only faith that is based entirely on the works of another, meaning what Jesus has done totally, not based upon what we can do. Every other religion is based upon have you done enough good? And you better hope you've done enough good. I have a dear friend. He is a bishop in the Mormon church. Spend much time with him trying to convert him. He tries to convert me. It's like this battle between both of us. And he stands in fear that he might not make it to the celestial tier, wherever he thinks he might want to make it, because he doesn't know if he's done enough good. And the man is worn out, he's drained, he's tired, and he just keeps going, just hoping that maybe God will be satisfied enough to accept him to this higher rate. It's the same if you talk to a Muslim. One after another after another is, have I done enough good? And you ask him, do you have hope of eternity? Well, I don't know, they would say. Speak to a Catholic, they would say the same thing. Well, I don't know, can we have assurance? The answer is, absolutely, we can have assurance. Our assurance is in Jesus Christ alone. That Jesus is the one who has authority to give life. Jesus is alone is the one who's going to judge all creation. Church, we don't have to be in fear. We don't have to shrink back. The evidence of God in us gives us complete confidence that we have eternal life. We have passed from death to life. Now, if you sit here this morning, you go, well, Pastor, that sounds amazing. And for some of us, we rejoice saying, Pastor, I know that's true. God has done that work in my life. I've seen change. I've seen God has taken me from death, from being the one who was, couldn't hear, the one who was spiritually blind, to now I hear and I see. And I praise God for it. And there might be some here this morning going, I don't know. I don't know if there is change. I don't know if there is evidence of God's Spirit. 
Well, here's the beauty about our God. You're still breathing. He's given you life to receive him, to turn to him. Jesus would beg with you to urge you to say, come to me. Come and taste. Come and drink. Come and have your fill to be satisfied in him alone. To come to Christ, to turn to him in repentance and faith. And to be satisfied with eternal life that he gives. If that's you this morning, turn to him now. There's no point to waiting. And for the rest of us, what a good God we have. That we have the assurance of salvation. Church, pray with me this morning. Father, what an amazing word spoken by your son. That all authority has been given to him, both to give life and to judge all creation. And God, we, the church, gather here this morning. We, those who are called saints, the beloved, those who are sons and daughters of the Most High, Father, with evidence that your Spirit dwells within us. Father, we glorify you, we praise you, we thank you for the work you have done in us. We thank you that you have begun a good work and you are faithful to complete it. And Father, we pray for that individual who might be here today and might think, well, I don't know about all this. I mean, I know the gospel. I know that Jesus died in my place. I know that he died on the cross, rose from the dead. But I don't think I really know him. I know of him. Father, I pray today that you would cause them to be born again, that they would turn to you in repentance and faith, that you would seal them with your Holy Spirit, that you would begin to do radical change in their life for your good pleasure, for your name's sake. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.